Well, Merry Christmas Eve. We are uh, almost there. First thing I want to say is if you have little ones in here that are squirming and making noise, awesome. Okay? And any of us that are tempted to look around and be like, I can't believe you have a kid that actually does that. Remember what it was like for you too. And it's really hard being parents. And so we love that you're here and we want you to feel comfortable. And so we're just going to do it. We're going to do it together. Um, Have you ever on a Christmas Eve night, and I know we all have the things you're doing. You may have food that's being prepared tonight. My family, we will eat. We'll do some stuff. I will watch. It's a wonderful life. One or two of my kids will join me. The others will be like, no. Not going to watch that again, but I love it. It's tradition. But amidst all of the opening presents and doing stuff together, have you ever just popped outside when it's quiet and looked up and said, I wonder what that was like? That first night, that star, that star that was very specific to a group of people. I wonder if there's something like that for me. Lord, is there a star moment for me and my faith? I love this time of year, all of it, all of it, including the big guy here. Let's see. There he is. Yeah. I love all of it. I remember sitting on his lap, telling him what I want. I love the classic movies. I love the new classic movies. Elf, you know, you smell like beef and cheese, Santa, all this stuff. Like we quote the movie lines together. And I used to be, when I was younger, I'd be so mad at people who did not know the reason for the season. I'd be so fired up. How could you blah, blah, blah. But God's doing some stuff in my heart recently. And one of the things is if you think about it, the whole world stops and pauses to buy presents, to celebrate, to say Merry Christmas. Even if they say Happy Holidays, they're doing it on the day the day that Jesus was, the whole world is cut. They make food, they buy presents, they spend crazy amounts of money. Their employers give them time off of work for this, for this moment of Jesus' birthday. And just as a little side thing, I know that we all know one of the things that we say around here, Daniel said the first one, Jesus is the most important person in the room. One of the other things we say is he's coming back. And if you think about when Will Jesus come back? We don't know the date, but I can think of two times during the year that might be possible. Can you think of a time of the year where the whole world is gathered around an event where he might, yes, Christmas, think about it. Wouldn't that be perfect if Jesus came the second time at Christmas time? I have memories of this night as a kid. More than any other things that I can remember growing up, I remember Christmas Eve nights. I remember coming home from extended family. We would go, we'd open presents. We'd have to listen to my Uncle Tom read the Christmas story before we got to open the presents. We were like, oh, hurry up, finish. But I remember driving home, pressing my little boy nose against the cold window, looking up into the sky. Was I looking for stars? No, I was looking for a red nose pulling a sleigh. And I'd be like, I think I see it. I think I see it, mom and dad. Oh yeah, really? Great. I remember those things. We all are tempted to and drawn to look for things that are supernatural, that are out of the ordinary. Anybody remember a couple of weeks ago, not, even, not quite two weeks ago, uh, we had 60 degrees in Winona in December. Remember that day? And did you hear the siren go off? I know Dave Henderson heard the siren. It's right by your house. Yeah, the siren goes off and it tells you, hey, something's coming, which we all kind of have learned to be like, yeah, whatever. Is it the, is it the test day? But then your phone, 
Everybody get your phones. And what did it say? Get somewhere safe. Get to the basement. So you know what I did? I went to the front porch. <laughs> and I stood out there. And you know what's hilarious? I looked down the row of 7th Street. And out everybody's house, there's these heads. And I think we all thought the same thing. If I see a tornado, I probably got like 10 seconds. I can make it to the basement, but I want to see. I want to see something spectacular, something that you usually only see videos of. Today's story is familiar. You've heard it, but it's one story centered around Christmas where everybody is doing this. And they're looking up and they're seeing something supernatural, a star, they're following it. It's for them. It's moving for them. And so we're going to jump right into Matthew chapter 2. If you have a Bible, awesome. If not, we'll show it up on the screen for you. Let me read just the first couple of verses to get us into the story to remind you. Now, after Jesus was born, very important word, after. This was not the night. So those of you who have your nativity scenes set up at home and the wise men are gathered around, take them out. I used to put our wise men, when I was growing up as a kid, on the end of the mantle. And my mom would be like, come on. I'm like, they're not there. They had to travel. After Jesus was born, it's not. We'll come and check your house to see if you've done it. We won't. In Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? We saw, notice it doesn't say we still see it. We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So other clues in the story that you'll get a little bit later, let us know these guys have been traveling for two years. Two years, not the night of, two years following a star. And there's a very interesting thing that we find out about the star. It's an insignificant star. How do I know that? Because nobody else saw it. Nobody in Jerusalem was like, oh yeah, we know where that thing's pointing. Just these wise men. They were astrologers. They knew the stars. They knew to read the stars, follow key events. And so they are the only ones that see the insignificant star. So our images of a blinding star moving and settling on top of the manger and the, the stable, it's just not true. It's not in the text. It was a subtle sign. It apparently faded and then would come back and faded. Here's the thing I thought about. God could have kept the star visible all the way to Bethlehem where they would have been like, there it is, there it is, there it is, there it is, there's, oh, right there. And he could have gotten them there on time. He didn't. He waited. The star was there after Jesus was born was when they arrived. Something the way those two phrases, after he was born and we saw, meaning it was later, we weren't able to be there to witness it. I can relate. Can you? I was not there to witness it. And I had a moment where I saw it and now it's kind of faded. How do we know that? What do they say? Where is he? They come in, where is he? They don't know. They're asking where the king that is born is. If they knew exactly where he was, maybe they would have been there sooner, but the star isn't visible or it's inconclusive in its direction. So why is all this important? Because the wise men, as they traveled, and we 
as we walk through our life in faith with Jesus or pursuing him, or maybe you're considering him, you come to these moments and I want you to imagine the wise men, they're traveling and one of them says, you know what? What are we doing? What are we doing? It's been a year. What are we doing? I know we saw that thing, but I haven't seen it in like 30 days. I've, what are we doing? You ever feel that way in your own faith? Where it's ebbing and flowing. All they have is a star. The word of God though, and I think that's why it's here, tells us, keep going. Keep going, keep pursuing. He's real, he's alive. And so they do. And something, the spirit of God, is drawing them, it's compelling them, it's driving them to keep going. And even with those doubts, you, know, you have them, I have them, they certainly had them. What was true about what was happening in Bethlehem? Even two years after, what was happening in Bethlehem? There was a little boy in diapers, learning to walk, learning to talk, who was the son of God, incarnate. That was true even if they didn't see it. What can that encourage us with? It's this, God is working right now, even in your life, even if you don't see it happening, he's working. The stars shine when it's cloudy, don't they? Yeah, they're still there. They're still shining. So glimpses of starlight that you see now in your faith, guess when they were sent? An eternity ago. We know that about science. The star that you, if you go outside and you see the stars, how long ago was that light that you're seeing? Did it leave the star? Years, years. That's the light you're seeing. The light that's being emitted now, you won't see for years. For Jesus and what he's showing us, it's eternity this is true for us and our significant, insignificant stars of faith. But not everybody feels so great about this moment. Let's look at verse three. There's some people that actually hated it. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of G Judah, are by no means least. You don't say that unless it's a small place, okay? It's like, I know you're, you're, it's okay. You're not the smallest. Yeah, they really are, okay? You are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for, you, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Herod summoned the wise men secretly, ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem saying, go search diligently for the child. When you found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. This is that moment in the movie where the villain goes and it goes ding. And you're like, you're not for real. So the wise men first went to Jerusalem, the big flashy city. If you're a king, where do you go? You go to the big city. It has a temple. It's magnificent. It has palaces. This has to be the place where the new king will be. But is Jesus there? He's not there. Jesus is not in the big flashy city. Herod asked the scribes and religious leaders, where is the Christ to be born? They say, well, according to the scriptures, it's Bethlehem. You can almost picture them looking at these guys, these magi saying, your search is going to end in a dumpy little town about six miles south. Have fun. A dumpy little one traffic light town. Couple places to eat, couple of stores. Yeah, that's where the son of God is. 
In my younger years, I've lived in or near big cities. And when someone asks you, even if you lived in a suburb of a big city, do you say the suburb? No, you don't usually. I went to Wheaton College, but when I would say, yeah, I went, lived in Wheaton College, that they're like, huh? And you're like, 40 minutes outside Chicago. Oh yeah, Chicago, I love Chicago. Lived in Charlotte, North Carolina for a while, Knoxville, Tennessee, 500,000 people. Where do you live now? I live in Winona. Huh? It's just a couple hours south of Minneapolis, St. Paul. Oh, yeah. You guys ever had that conversation? <laughs> Small town. There's a certain sense of status, of high living, even education and sophistication to a big city. Even in the movie that I'll watch tonight, George Bailey said, I'm shaking the dust of this crummy little town and I'm going to see the world. Right? But Jesus, dumpy little town too, just right. Perfect, perfect, insignificant star, dumpy little town called Bethlehem that you could probably throw a rock right through. That's how big it was. Even Herod isn't interested enough to go there himself. So why is this important? Why should you love that Jesus went to the small town? Well, you may be thinking, and some this is absolutely the case, and this is okay. We're so glad you're here. You come to church a couple times a year. Now, and maybe Easter, and you're like, man, I don't fit here. When's that guy going to shut up? I got to get out of here. I'm going to leave it to the experts. I don't have big, flashy, big city faith. I'm kind of a small town guy. I kind of believe, I don't know. Those who should be on the inn, who should be in the know in this story, the king, the scribes, the religious leader, guess what? They have no idea. They're out. They don't know anything. The people on the outs, the shepherds, the lowest in society, the pagans from another country, they're on the inn. They get it. They know what's happening. Jesus comes to the lowly. Jesus comes to the small town heart. He loves to do that. That's where he shows up. Now, does Herod believe in Jesus? Yeah, enough to kill him. He's going to try to kill him. How about those who know about the Messiah? They've memorized the verses. They go to church all the time. Do they know about Jesus? Kind of, but are they all missing it? Yes. So even if we feel out of place, like we don't belong, we feel a little weird being here. Jesus loves that you're here. <laughs> he loves that you're here. And he loves the place where you will go home to tonight. He loves your life. He loves what you are doing, the things you're interested in. He is interested in you and loves you, your family, your world. Why? Because Jesus is a small town savior. Now that doesn't mean he's insignificant. It means he's close. It means he's in the dust. He's humble. He's meek. He's lowly. He's able to be approached. That's why it was important that he was born in a dumpy little town. That's what should give us hope. And now this truth though, for the scribes, the Pharisees and the religious leaders and King Herod, right over their head, did not get it. But to those who don't think they deserve him, yeah, you're gonna find him. You're gonna find him. The fact that Jesus was born in a dumpy little town should be a stunning statement to us. Because you know what it tells us? We get access. We have access. He steps down into our small world. Now, keep in mind for the moment, 
Wise men are still there. They're still waiting. All they have is a star that faded, insignificant. Now they've been given the name to a dumpy little town. Has the star shown up again? Not yet. They're still in the dark. They don't know what they're supposed to do. They're kind of like, okay, now what do we do? And so as we walk into the dumpy little town of Bethlehem with them, let's dare to believe that eternal life comes in a small package. Verse nine, after listening to the king, they went, traveled six miles south. Behold, the star is back. The star that they had seen, it didn't stay with them. They didn't just make a pit stop in Jerusalem because they wanted to. There was no more star. They needed information. They got it. And as they left in obedience, here the star shows up. It rose, went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. Some historians try to say this was some sort of eclipse or some sort of crazy phenomenon that was natural, but it was supernatural. This thing was moving. It moved and went to a house in a dumpy town. When they saw the, the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. The way we would say something like, that fires me up. I'm so excited. Okay. They're pumped about this. They go into the house and there's Mary posed with Jesus and he's glowing. <laughs> right? No. I'm betting Jesus had a diaper hanging off him like this and Mary's frantic. They go in and they fall down. They fall down and worship him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. The star is shining again. It's moving not a natural occurrence, but a supernatural event. Why is this happening? Why didn't Jesus, the king of the Jews, the king of the world, why wasn't he born in Jerusalem? Why not make it spectacular fireworks, a million angels light the sky up so everybody knows? Why the insignificant star? Why the dumpy little town? Because God wanted you to have access God intended it this way, that it would be small and it would be in your world, in your life. He would come to you. Wherever you live, whatever dirt or sin that you think holds you down or has somehow kept you from knowing him fully, he wants you to know you have access to the King of Kings. He'll show up at your house too. So let's paint this out just as, and we're just a few more thoughts here. A couple of years have passed since the first Christmas. Shepherds have long returned to their fields. The young Mary and Joseph are now settling into life with a toddler. Anybody relate? Late nights, changing diapers, teaching Jesus how to walk, how to talk. The very creator who formed the mouth and the tongue and how to craft languages. The one who figured out the physics of how to have a human person walk on legs is now being taught how to do those things. There's no buzz in the air, no angels, no songs, no frantic search for a place to give birth, just living life and wondering. Imagine doing the dishes one night, Joseph is like, hey, Mary, remember that a couple years ago? That was nuts. That was crazy. Angels and the table. I'm really sorry about that. I know that was, that was rough. At least we got a house now. It's great. Possibly Mary isn't treasuring those things so much in her heart anymore. Remember that verse? 
She treasured these things in her heart. How amazing. The angel's message came a couple years ago. What once was bright seems now dim. So let's put this in 2021. Ding dong. Doorbell rings. Who is it? Ding dong. Oh, do I have to sign for the Amazon package? Can't you just leave it on the door? I can't right now. Just leave it. Ding dong. Ugh. Fine. The dogs start barking. Baby Jesus starts crying. The high chair tray is full of little goldfish and those little puff things they have now. There's a bit of mashed up something dribbling down his chin. Maybe he's packing in his diaper. I don't know. Joseph, did you change his diaper yet? Yeah, right on it, Mary. You open the door and here are three foreign dignitaries with a full entourage. And they are here to honor your toddler son. They have gifts. And now they're on their faces worshiping. What's happening? This is a moment of worship with a toddler. And I wrote it that way on purpose because I want you to think about this. Yes, it's amazing that we can come together and that we can worship together in the house of the Lord. But what does God tell us over and over? Where is the temple now? You. You're the temple. Your life. What you go home to tonight, Jesus is excited to show up in your world. A moment of worship with a toddler. Your encounter with Jesus on a daily basis. So I was, watch, I was working out in my basement because when it gets cold, I can't rollerblade around the lake anymore. So I'm down there on some stupid machine, <laughs> angry about the machine, sweating, just annoyed altogether. Got to do this. Okay, whatever. So I put something on to watch. And many of you maybe have watched The Chosen a magnificent production that's been, they're doing episode after episode and they did redid the Christmas nativity recently. You can find it on YouTube if you want to watch something later tonight when you get home. And so I was sweating, I was annoyed. I was like, well, I just want to pass the time. I'll throw this up. There's some pretty good music. And then they have like a little 25 minute nativity. It's Mary and Joseph and kind of paired with this cool story about Mary in the future. And she's old and Mary Magdalene is snuck into this city because it's under Roman occupation. They're trying to kill the Christians. And she tells Mary, hey, did I ever tell you about my psalm? Mary Magdalene's like, what? What do you mean? What psalm? And so if you look in the Gospels, there's the Magnificat, Mary's psalm that is written there. My soul magnifies the Lord. This beautiful, worshipful moment. So that's happening in this thing. And I felt like the Lord... And I know this is different for everybody. I heard, I felt, I was prompted, I was nudged, words, no words, whatever. He got me, okay? And said, get on the floor. I was like, it's dirty. <laughs> Sometimes they have these conversations. I got, he's, I got on my knees in front of the TV and this thing, and here's Jesus being born. Here's Mary speaking the Psalm. I remember putting my head on the ground, feeling the dirt, dust from the basement. And this has only happened like two or three times in my life. Two or three times. Like I get kind of a little like watery eyes and stuff when I like tonight when I watch It's a Wonderful Life, for sure. I'll be a little choked up, always. But I sobbed. Like the kind where you don't want anybody to see you, where you're shaking. And it was just worship. 
And I couldn't, I couldn't even stop it. And eventually after it stopped, I got up and I was like, wow, that was interesting, Lord. A moment of worship in my dirty basement with my doubts about life and myself and my kids and my family and how's everything going to turn out, Lord? And are you here? Are you re all of it? And he was so real to me in that moment. A moment of worship. I love how Matthew includes the detail about the gifts. Somebody asked me uh, after the first service, what did they do with the gifts? A lot of people think that when they had to go to Egypt, it, it funded them. Like it was actually what they needed. But if you also look, gold, the gift of a king, frankincense was the only spice allowed on the altar when they made a sacrifice in the Old Testament. And myrrh was what they used to embalm people after they died. Hmm. Interesting that Jesus received those three. But it says they opened their treasures and offered him their gifts. They opened their treasures and they offered him their gifts. And I think it's a beautiful way for us to think about opening up our heart, open the treasure of your heart and give it to him. Give it to him. Was this for the wise men, for Mary and Joseph, was this easy to be living with the life of Jesus here and what they had to do? No, not at all. It cost, it sacrificed. In fact, you're going to see, you know what happens in the next verse? The very next story, God says, run. So Christmas, Merry Christmas, run. Somebody's trying to kill him. That's intense. That's worshiping in a hostile culture. Is it the same now? Yes, absolutely. But is he as real and as beautiful and as worth it? Yes. Subtle, insignificant star, dumpy little town, toddler with a diaper hanging off. Lord, is this real? Yes. Yes. His star is shining just for you. Can you see it? His pursuit of you is happening in your dumpy little town, in your dumpy little life. My words for me, but you can have them if you want. Can you feel it? All of it is leading you, calling you to open up the treasure of your heart and offer it to him. Will you? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for giving us eyes of faith to see your word, uh, different layers and depths of who you are. Lord, I always thought about the star as this just like explosive, amazing, supernatural thing that everybody would have seen. And Lord, just love that it was not, <laughs> that it was something they had to look for. They had to follow, they had to seek, they had to search diligently for the King of the Jews. And I think that's part of our own journey. Lord, we ask that this Christmas Eve, would you give us the gift of seeing you, of experiencing your call on our lives, of hearing you ask us to lay down everything once again, to open the treasure of our hearts, to offer our lives to you, to worship you. God, that little church service happening in some little house in that small town of Bethlehem 
a few thousand years ago is just such a beautiful picture of what it means to follow you and love you. We bless you, Lord. We ask that that first holy night would invade our very ordinary night. Would we be overcome and in awe of your glory tonight? We ask this in Christ's name.